This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. You know, as a parent, especially a parent of teenagers, it can be really hard sometimes to figure out what is normal teenage behavior, right? And what is outside the norm and maybe needs extra attention. The issue of anxiety as well is making that situation even more complicated. That's why it's going to be so interesting to talk to our next guest. It is Dr. Lisa DeMora, psychologist and a best-selling author. Uh, she writes the New York Times monthly adolescence column as well. She's a regular CBS News contributor. Her latest best-selling book is called Under Pressure, Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. Dr. DeMora, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, this must be a topic that you get parents asking you about all the time. It's why I wrote the book. I have been a practicing psychologist for about 25 years, and my work centers on girls, but I also take care of boys too. And about 10 years ago, the word stress or anxiety started to come into almost every conversation I was having with Mm -hmm. families. And then it became the center of those conversations. And I could measure it against the first 15 years of my work as a clinician and knew that something had shifted. And when I I wrote a book titled Untangled about normal development in adolescence, and that came out in 2016, and my editor said, what do you want to do next? And I said, we have to address this question of why we are suddenly hearing so much about stress and anxiety in young people. And did you find a way to answer that question? I tried. (laughs) <laughs> so I tried for six chapters. Okay. So what I focus on in Under Pressure, which is this book that came out in February, are several factors that can help us understand the rise that we are seeing in young people's overall sense of being nervous and strained by the demands upon them. One key factor, and I start right away with this in the book, is that there's a general misunderstanding about stress and anxiety. Psychologists actually see stress and anxiety as largely healthy and normal functions. The culture has come to see stress and anxiety as invariably harmful or always to be avoided. So this misunderstanding alone is not helping us. That is such a good point because... We cannot live a stress-free or an anxiety-free life. When did we start thinking of this as, this is horrible, we have to do away with this? It's a really good question. I can't account fully for why this huge gap has emerged, because you're right, psychologists understand, and we have always understood, stress is part of life. Anytime you are adapting to a new circumstance, you will be stressed, even Mm. if that circumstance is, you have a baby that you love who moves in with you, right? Because you (laughs) decide to have a child, right? That's a wildly stressful thing, but it's a positive thing. We also appreciate that stress happens when we are operating at our edge. If we're learning or taking on a new job, we feel stressed, but we grow as a function of that. There are harmful forms of stress. We don't like chronic stress. We don't like trauma. Up to that point, we recognize that stress is growth-giving, and it also makes us more durable. If you go through something stressful and you withstand it, you actually are more resilient when a new stressful event occurs. And so we can't pinpoint the moment then when people started thinking that we have to prevent any kind of stress and anxiety, because you're right, how do we expect to move forward if we're not going to learn from those moments? It's not a possibility. In terms of where this gap came from between how psychologists talk about stress and how the culture talks about stress, I do have a theory Mm -hmm. 
and I can't confirm it. I am all for well-being. I have come to cast a slightly more cynical eye on the wellness industry. I am interested in how much money is now caught up in selling the idea that you are supposed to feel calm and relaxed much of the the time. time. How's that possible? It's not possible. It's not possible. But if I convince you of that, and then you that get I'm out of, doing something wrong. I, I need have to a product something. that can help you. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. So I am not generally a cynical or conspiracy theory type person, <laughs> <laughs> but once I started to think in this way, and my eye turned towards advertising for various wellness products, I started to think this may not be helping us as much as we think this is helping us. Not that I think anyone is ill-intentioned. But I do think we have to be careful about buying the idea that it is possible to live a stress-free existence. Doesn't that also even make it worse, though? Because even with that idea out there and you see this, and then the average you know, mom or dad at home that's trying to juggle kids and activities and school and homework and getting dinner on the table, that every moment those messages are saying to you, you're not measuring up because these people are all relaxed and taking care of themselves and you're not. That is my main concern, actually, is that people now feel stressed about being stressed. Yeah. It gets a lot easier if we say to ourselves, all right, if I'm a busy and dedicated person, over the course of the day, there will be several moments where I feel a great deal of stress. Yeah. They will pass, or I have the resources that are equal to them, so I'm not leveled by it. If we accept that, things actually feel quite a bit easier. If we dedicate ourselves to the idea that somehow... I should feel good all the time. <laughs> you actually feel worse. I, I feel bad saying that, right? <laughs> that no, you're not going to feel good all the time, but you're right because the message has been so pervasive. Another way to think about it is what generation before us thought that we were supposed to feel relaxed and calm all the time? Uh, none. Ever. Okay. And that's just adults we're talking about. Yes. We haven't even gotten to the topic <laughs> of girls and we are going to do that. Any parent of a child is going to say, you're right. I don't want my child to end up like this. So how can you prevent... All of that from happening. We're going to talk more with Dr. Lisa Demore about that. Uh, so stay tuned. I should also mention, though, by the way, that she's speaking at Crofton House School's Whole Girl, Whole World Speakers Series. Uh, they had 500 tickets. Guess what? They're all sold out. So I'm sorry. You can't. If you, if you got a ticket, you're very lucky. Unfortunately, you won't be able to go down and hear her tonight if you don't have a ticket. But that's why it's so great that we're able to have Dr. Lisa Demore with us right now. A psychologist, best-selling author, New York Times monthly adolescence columnist. Uh, her her latest book is called Under Pressure, Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. Is that going to be the topic tonight as well? It is. That's what we'll focus on. And I'm thrilled to be back at Crofton House. I've been there before. And we are going to think hard about what we can do to help our daughters and also our sons. Right. So we were talking earlier about how just in general, we have started to think of stress and anxiety as this bad thing that we must get rid of when that's really not possible. We, we should learn to embrace some of it. It's not possible... Nor would we want it. Yeah. We really do want stress in our lives to help us grow and become more durable. And the same is true of anxiety. Anxiety is a normal and protective function. It is what the human body and mind does in response to threats. If you are driving and there's a car near you swerving, you should have an anxiety response. And that anxiety response will motivate you to take steps to keep yourself safe. Right. If you don't have a reaction to that, you are in jeopardy. And how do you take that message, though, to girls and the parents of these girls? Because 
today it seems like the attitude is I have to protect my child from any bad things, you know, obstacles or anything like that. So I'm pretty direct in my messaging, as I think you can tell. (laughs) And one of the subsections in my book, Under Pressure, is called School is Supposed to be Stressful. And the way I talk with kids, (laughs) what I say to kids is school is like a weightlifting program for your mind. Everyone knows that if you're going to build muscle, you have to lift uncomfortably heavy weights. School is a very long, and at times I will say to kids, very tedious, I know, weightlifting program. You come into school, maybe you're a first grader, we give you work that feels difficult, we ask you to work with it. As soon as you become comfortable with it, we will take that away, we will bump you up a level and give you more difficult work. This is how you learn things, this is how your intellectual capacity grows, and this is the systematic process by which kids go from being darling kindergartners to powerhouse 12th graders who can do so much intellectually. And... We accept that exercise is uncomfortable and yet good for you. We also have to accept that learning and growing and deadlines and and stress are uncomfortable and also can be good for you. But when your child comes to you and says, I'm feeling anxiety or I can't cope, and that's surely very different. It's worrisome as a parent, but I think... Our answer should not be, how do we make it go away? I don't want you to have that feeling. Our answer should be, tell me what's making you anxious. And if she says, I'm anxious because there's this really mean kid in my class and I think I have to be in a group project with her, we say, well, that's a reason to feel anxious. How are you going to handle it? What are you going to do to manage it? If she says, I'm anxious because I haven't studied for this test yet, we say, good, you're having the right reaction. You should be anxious. Right. Um, We only worry about anxiety when it does not correspond to a real threat in the world. And wh- how, how is that different, though? Ex- so explain that to me. If you're on vacation with your kid, and she's got no homework, and everything's great, and no- nothing to worry about, and she's still feeling anxious, then we would say, okay, this isn't right, this doesn't make sense. It's not an alarm that's responding to anything meaningful. The other time we worry about anxiety is if it is grossly out of proportion to the threat. So say your son has a quiz, he is totally ready, fully prepared, and yet is panicking about it, that's not good and healthy anxiety. Short of an overreaction or an anxiety response that's happening in the absence of a threat, the rest of anxiety is good. It alerts us that there's something we should be doing or shouldn't be doing and helps us stay on track. Does that also depend on what our definition of unusual or a threat is? Because some parents might hear one of the examples that you gave there as, oh, I don't, the girl who bullies me is in my group and immediately think, well, I'm going to go to the teacher and I'm going to make sure that girl is out of the group and my daughter doesn't have to be in that group. (laughs) Your definition of the problem is also a problem. It could be. It could be. So one way for us to think about this I have in my mind a flow chart for when a child is complaining about a difficulty. And what I'm always interested in is how far down the flow chart do we have to go before the problem is fixed? So say that a child comes home and says, oh, darn it, you know, the one kid I did not want in my group is in my group. The first thing I would like for parents to do is say, oh, man, that stinks. I'm so sorry. See if that fixes the problem. It is amazing how often it does. Empathy. Often they just want empathy. Right. If that doesn't work, then I would have the next step be to support coping, to say, what are you going to do to handle that? That sounds really 
challenging. But to put the onus on them to find a solution to their problem. You are uncomfortable. What resources do you have at your disposal? And if that doesn't work, then I think I would say to the child, well, why don't you think about it for a little while? And I'll think about it for a little while. And let's see if we can come up with solutions. But there are so many steps between a non-response and calling the school. And I'm not saying never call the school. What I want to see is if empathy, supporting coping, strategizing together, giving the child 24 hours to decide how much of a problem this really is. Because mm-hmm. sometimes something feels like a really big problem on Wednesday that, that is, is totally forgotten sleep by on Thursday. It. I'm a big fan of sleep on it. Let's see how we exactly. feel Exactly. So you, this is in the flowchart. <laughs> yes. Sleep on it. Should be in the flowchart. So... What I worry is so long as we have this idea that our child shouldn't feel anxious or shouldn't feel stressed. The that life second, should be a bed of roses and that it's life not. Should be a bed of roses, I worry that we are intervening to prevent the emotion as opposed to intervening to help the child manage the feeling. Could you explain to parents then the potential repercussions, the consequences, the damage of sending your child off into the world as adults and young adults but when they don't have those coping mechanisms? The longer I practice and the more I watch child development, the more I think about how we cultivate adaptation in children. Meaning, how do we cultivate in our kids the capacity to roll with things, to figure things out as they go, to adapt to a situation that isn't exactly what they had in mind? And the longer I work as a psychologist, the more I see that the kids who thrive are the ones who are most capable of adaptation under difficult circumstances, and the kids who struggle are the ones who most need the world to be tailored to their needs. So our job always as grown-ups who love children is to find, as much as we can, that space between making things very straightforward for children so Mm -hmm. they don't have to adapt at all, or asking way too much in a form that is unfair, we want to actually be operating between those two places. And some days we're going to get it right, and some days we're going to get it wrong, and some days we're going to ask too much, and some days we're going to ask too little. But I think our job as grown-ups who care for young people is on balance to always be pressing them to work at their edge, to be slightly uncomfortable, One way to sum it all up is this. No learning happens without grappling. If you are not slightly uncomfortable, if you are not feeling a little uneasy, if you are not struggling to wrap your mind around something, you're actually not learning. Well, you summed it up better than I could. So, (laughs) Dr. Demore, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. The book is called Under Pressure, Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. It's Dr. Lisa Demore. Check it out. I know a lot of parents out there right now are going, i got to write that name down. (laughs) Find out more about that. Dr. Demore, thanks for being with us.